Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Eurosport, who have the rights to all of the four Grand Slam tournaments, including exclusive rights of the US Open and the Australian Open. My name is David Law, happy to say, joined as we come to you from London Marleybone Station to talk about tennis with Eurosport's Catherine Whittaker. How are you doing, Catherine? Yes, Eurosport rights holders to uh, all four Grand Slams and to Catherine Whitaker. Lucky them. And now to the tennis podcast. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All the good stuff. Um, yeah, I'm very well. I'm, I'm blooming cold, David. I'm Happy blooming World cold. Tennis Day. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, Is it a seriously World Tennis yeah, Day? Yes, World Tennis Day. What have you done with it so far? I've been in bed for a lot of it. Um, <laughs> Why is that? And now I'm recording a tennis podcast. <laughs> Why have you been in bed for most of it? I felt a bit jet. I was working nights last week commentating on Acapulco um, and it's resulted in sort of a weird feeling of jet lag without having been anywhere, which is a, a bit odd. I'd love to say that I have jet lag as a result of actually being in Acapulco for the week, but alas, no. <laughs> How dare you call it work for a start? So sitting there talking about tennis, and uh, that's Catherine Whittaker talking about work. Now, there has been a lot of tennis uh, over the course of the last seven days since we were last with you, and we're going to talk about it all. We've got tournaments, as Catherine mentioned, in Acapulco to talk about. Uh, Dubai, of course. They still haven't even finished the one in Sao Paulo. The, the poor souls. I mean, I think they were, what, three all in the, in the first set of the final when it was rained off overnight of the final day, and now it's raining all day today. I mean, what do you do? I mean, we talked well, about this the other week, weren't we? Well, it, well yeah, you know, move venues. I don't know. As I say, the when the scenario, the possibility of the scenario occurred for the WTA event in Doha, that was the first time I'd really contemplated what the official rules are for these scenarios. And in the WTA rules, it emerged that you only have one auxiliary day to complete the event. So if that's the case in the ATP rules as well, they could be in deep... Doo-doo. <laughs> Deep doo-doo, technical term <laughs> that you'll be hearing on Eurosport, no doubt, from uh, whatever Grand Slam Catherine is next working on. 
Um, now, that's uh, it, David. Give them a reason to tune in. There you go. <laughs> you got all the good stuff on Eurosport and on the tennis podcast. Happy to say. Now, Catherine, stuff that has happened over the course of the last week. Let's talk first of all about the winners, the big winners of the the tennis week. And in Acapulco, on the women's side, the tournament you were covering. Who was that? Lisa Serenko. Okay, and she beat. Kiki Mladenovic in okay, the final. And, and the big match of the week was Mladenovic against Heather Watson, which lasted how long? Three hours, 32 minutes. And you know this because? <laughs> I was commentating on it alone. On your own, Catherine Whittaker <laughs> do, doing uh, sterling work on, um, <laughs> on the world feed. I mean, what do you do if you need a little snack? What do you do? Luckily, I had snack-wise... I was all set. It was, I mean, my coffee ran out sort of, I mean, the first two games took 20 minutes. And so by that point, my coffee was gone and I was staring down the barrel of a very long coffee-free night and uh, despairing a little. If it, it, it was a good job I didn't know just how long a night was ahead of me. Um, it, it was a challenge, that one, I have to say, because... As much as the scoreline had drama and there were moments that had drama, it was such an error-strewn match. I think they would both admit that. It was hard to really build up the tension because every time there was a key point, somebody served a double fault. 20 double faults from Mladenovic, 17 from Heather, normal to me. from Heather Watson. Um, it, I mean, it was extraordinary and it was intriguing. You couldn't take your eyes off it. I mean, I wasn't allowed to take my eyes off it. But, uh, yeah, it was... uh, And still not the longest match of the year. Still, I was looking up the records and they still lost out on being the longest match of the year by two minutes. Two. Well, who would you guess, David, if you had to pick a female player... Svetlana Kuznetsova. Yeah, against Yelena Jankovic in Australia. Three hours, 34. No great surprise there. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, the other thing is, you know, coffee intake, absolutely necessary in order to keep awake. But if you're a sole commentator, that does present potentially other problems as well. We won't get into that. Um, the men's tournament in Acapulco was won. I mean, when you looked at the lineup at the start of the week, the idea that it would be won by Sam Query seems faintly ridiculous. But then, you know, Stephen Farrow, the Aegon Championships tournament director, I was talking to him a, uh, an hour or so ago, and he, he was reeling off the names that Sam Querrey had beaten. I mean, he beat Nadal in straight sets in the final, but he, he was beating, beating everybody. Yeah, team, Goffin, Kyrgios uh, and Nadal. Uh, I mean, ridiculous. And, each, and to be fair, after each one of those victories, I thought, yeah, that's very good. Well done, Sam Querrey. He's obviously not going to win the next one, though. I mean, to be honest, I did think he might beat Dominic Team for Dominic Team related reasons, which we may or may not discuss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and again, I, I think maybe he had a chance of beating Kyrgios but again to do with uh, to do with Kyrgios rather than to do with Sam Querrey because I, I thought Kyrgios might struggle to back up that victory over Djokovic but I I am completely guilty of giving Sam Querrey zero chance in that final against Nadal zero chance he had a love and four record going into the match I thought Blooming brilliant week for Sam Querrey reaching the final you've had your moment in the sun now quite literally um, they don't ever seem to have a cloud in the sky in Acapulco, annoyingly, when uh, it's the middle of the night in Feltham and you're looking at a delightful cloudless sky in Acapulco. It really does look like a quite glorious tennis uh, destination. Um, yeah, and he just he 
blew me away. I mean, Nadal described it as a near-perfect performance from Sam Curry. It was certainly a better performance than he needed to produce to beat Djokovic at Wimbledon last year. I mean, that was gutsy and gritty, and it was, you know, it was a great serving display. But for me, he played better tennis this week in Acapulco in a number of those wins than in that win that he's most famous for over Djokovic at Wimbledon last year. I mean, he's... He, I've written off Sam Curry so many times. I, I really have. I, I, I don't give him the... You know, I see him as a very solid, but I'm not seeing him as somebody motivated to to absolutely max out the the potential that he has. But winning an ATP 500 in Acapulco with that kind of a field and having to do it the hard way by beating the top names in the field, he is maxing out his potential i'd love to know what he's doing differently he'd be a he'd be a good uh, tennis podcast interviewee wouldn't he david he, he would uh, better sort that out actually maybe maybe at queens this year where he is a former champion of course in 2010 i do remember reading that our, our colleague from the new york times ben rothenberg said that he once uh, i think during madrid last year when i think query won a, a set something like six love against nadal and 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 ben was saying that he spoke to jon tiriak who was saying the first 10 minutes of that match was the best tennis he'd ever seen. Yeah, it was unreal. I, I was there for that. Uh, and and you're right, look, looking back on that, it was. He just blew him off the court. Um, I mean, yeah, he's, he's got the goods. He's got the ground strokes, hasn't he? He produced every time he was in trouble against Nadal. He produced an ace or an unreturnable serve. You know, that's, that's Pete Sampras-like. That's what he used to do to people. Look, Sam Querrey is not going to win 14 Grand Slam titles, but... If he can do, do, if he can do, he's twenty nine, David. <laughs> what odds would you give me for that? I was gonna. No, I won't say. It. <laughs> I won't say. I'm gonna. No, I won't. We banned pole vault, everybody, this week, <laughs> so I'm not gonna put it to the vote. The vote of what? Will he win fourteen or will he win one? Can he win one? I'm not gonna talk because about because you it. always phrase it as can he, can she? Well, of course they can. Anything can happen. Yeah, you had a right. Thomas Johansson won a blooming Australian Open. Anyone can do anything. You went nuts I... at me the other day on Twitter <laughs> publicly about that very point, didn't you? When I said something about Songa, can he win a, a, a Grand Slam? And I said, I think he can. And you yeah. said, of, well, of course he can. Yeah. Well, I'm quite right, aren't I? I don't know. Maybe he can't. Maybe he's incapable. Completely incapable. Uh, it wasn't win a slam, was it? It was get to a final. Anyway, I think you will get to the final of a grand slam. So there, Catherine Whitaker, you've had your answer. Um, now, um, so, yeah, bit of a bit of a story, though, throughout the week. You mentioned Kyrgios. First of all, Kyrgios defeating Novak Djokovic. I mean, you know, a, a week ago we were talking about Djokovic. A bit of a change of scenery for him. Go to Acapulco, freshen himself up. Oh, Here's your draw, Novak. <laughs> you got one Martin Del Potro first up, and then if you get through that, you got Nick Kyrgios. I mean, that is rough. Yeah, it's a nightmare draw. It's an, it, uh, it was a dream draw for us because obviously uh, his matchups with Del Potro are traditionally fantastic. Of course, looking back to their match in Rio last year at the Olympics, that was sensational. And he'd never played Kyrgios. It feels like we waited a long time for the Djokovic-Kyrgios matchup. He played sensationally in the Del Potro match. He really did. I thought this was Djokovic very much back to, if not his best, then certainly playing much, much better tennis. So much more intent and fire in the belly. And, and I thought all the signs are good. And I thought he would be challenged by Kyrgios. But I thought on the evidence of the Del Potro match... 
he would have enough, but he didn't. Kyrgios served 25 aces in two sets, and uh, I think Djokovic was a bit stunned. He didn't play badly, Djokovic. He didn't play badly, and that's just what Kyrgios can do to people. He gave a 25-second press conference after that match, Novak Djokovic. He wasn't happy. But, you know, in a way, I, I almost think that that wasn't the worst sign in the world, that he was knocked, that he was irritated. I think he needs to be irritated by losses of any type, really, to, to bring back the old Novak Djokovic and to eventually get the defiance that, that I think brings out his very best stuff. So, Well, if anyone's going to bring out defiance in you, it's Nick Kyrgios, isn't it, I think? I mean... He wasn't on his worst behaviour in that match by any means, but it must still be annoying to be losing to Nick Kyrgios, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think particularly because Kyrgios, I mean, look look what he did straight afterwards. He went, st- went on Instagram and he posted a picture of a joker, uh, an emoji of a joker with, with a little sort of cross next to it. Now, that was either check, done that, or it was, you're out, mate. <laughs> so Either way. It was really Either cool. Either way. And, I mean, you know, it, the, the only thing is, if you're going to do that, you need to win your next match, I think, really, for it to stand up and and, um, and not look a bit silly. Uh, and, of course, he, he ended up running into Sam Querrey. Yeah, which I... And the sad thing about that is I'm not sure it, that result surprised all that many people. Um, you know, I remember vividly, I think I, think I told the story... Uh, on the podcast at the time I was in Madrid last year and Nick Kyrgios played Guido Pella of Argentina uh, Davis Cup hero now Guido Pella uh, and Nick Kyrgios scraped through against him in the first round well not quite scraped through but you know it wasn't a demolition job and it was to set up a meeting with Stan Wawrinka their first meeting since the famous match in Montreal the previous year when there was all the aggro and all the fallout which we don't need to go into and uh, of course everybody was standing there in the mix zone waiting for him he showed up with his with his three agents and uh, there he was uh, being asked about the Stan Wawrinka match and he wasn't playing any of it down he was saying yeah I, I, I cannot wait for this match I cannot wait to uh to prove myself against uh, a man that's caused me a lot of grief over the past nine or so months. And uh, and I said, you, you, you seem really fired up for this one, Nick. You're not shying away from the drama of it. And he, he, he said, with the most dismissive tone of voice and look, on, look in his eye, he said, yeah, well, it's a damn sight easier to get up for a match against Vavrinka than it is against Guido Pella. In the, honestly... I hope Guido Pella didn't see or hear... Or, or listens to this tennis podcast. I mean, he's... Uh, look, Guido Pella isn't going to win 14 Grand Slam titles either, but he is a fine, fine, solid tennis player who hadn't... who'd given a decent account of himself against Nick Kyrgios. Yes, he'd been beaten by a better player. Nick Kyrgios is a better player, but he deserved so much better than that. And Kyrgios was just saying... Basically, I, I shouldn't have to play the likes of Guido Pella. Why can't, why can't I only play top five players, but, basically? You know, it's beneath me. I mean, we, we, we find that all quite amusing, but, but there, there's actually a serious point there in terms of Nick Kyrgios' development because I used to say about Evans that if you could fast-track him into the top 100 in the world with wild cards and so forth, 
put him on the big stage where he feels alive, you'd have a player. The problem is getting there. And fortunately, he's knuckled down, found a way to get there, and now he's a regular fixture inside that top 100, even top 50. Similar thing, even more so, though, for Nick Kyrgios. You, you, somebody wrote on Twitter, maybe Chris Clary, someone like that, a, a focused up for it, Kyrgios, is, is a Grand Slam champion of the future and then some. You know? Oh, I don't think anybody questions that, do they? But it really, you, I think you can forget almost sometimes when, when because the, the, it's so erratic, you don't know which one you're going to get from day to day. And whichever one you've had most recently, I certainly find, I don't think I've ever gone on a ride with a player quite the way I feel like one does with Nick Kyrgios. Oh, Grigor Dimitrov, David. No, it's the not the same. It's no, not the but same, but it is a ride. It, 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 it is, a ride. it is, but with, with Kyrgios, from day to day, you can get brilliance and destruction of, of an opponent of one of the best players in the world. Look, he's beaten now Nadal, Federer and Djokovic at the first attempt. I mean, that is prodigious talent. Now, with Dimitrov, it's... No, it, no, it's, it's much not, more it's gradual. Not the same. No, it's no, much it's more not gradual. the same. And, and I don't, I, I, I convince myself sometimes about Kyrgios. This is it. This is the moment. And I don't know what I'm talking about. None of us do. We do not know from day to day when this guy is going to do it and when he isn't. And then the well, next... we know there's a bigger chance of him doing it against Novak Djokovic yeah. than there is against Sam Querrey. Exactly. That much is for sure. And, and that is the problem. You know, he's going to have to learn how to back it up. Now, Querrey the played pro- the match of his life, but still. But does he want to learn? That's the problem. I'm not sure he, he's that bothered about learning. I think he only wants the big moments. And, uh, yeah, I, my question mark, it, I don't contest anything that you've just said. Of course Nick Kyrgios, on his day can beat absolutely anybody. If he produces his best tennis, he, sh- he should be winning Grand Slam titles. He should be a top five player. But it, it's not like that. It doesn't pan out like that. You have to win seven matches. You have to get your ranking high enough that you've got a decent seeding. And What and do you think he's going to end up doing then? From where you are right now, what do you think I don't the next think, five years will I be? I don't think he's going to win a Grand Slam. I don't. I think he's going to do exactly what he's doing at the moment, which is winning some titles, having some incredible results, um, baffling and and mesmerising and frustrating everybody, but not fulfilling his potential. I'd I'd love that not to be the case. I'd love something to change. I'd love him to make a brave coaching decision, but... He's right when he says he's he's at least self-reflective enough to know there's no point in bringing a coach on board if you're not in the frame of mind that you're really prepared to listen to them and act on what they've got to say. And that's why he's not doing that at the moment. He knows he's not in that frame of mind. I hope he can find it somewhere. But as things stand, I think he will continue doing pretty much what he's doing at the moment. I disagree. I disagree, and I can completely see where you're coming from, but I disagree with it. My conclusion is that he will get there, and he will figure it out. He's getting closer. He still throws in the most almighty embarrassments of, of, of matches What evidence do you see that he's getting closer? I, I think the win over Djokovic takes some doing. I didn't see that coming. But the I'm, win over Federer in Madrid two years ago took some doing. The I, win over Nadal in 2014 took some doing. Well, for me, I think that 
Djokovic is closer in in his skill set to Andy Murray than he is to the other two. And Andy Murray always handles Kyrgios relatively easily. But I there's did... mental stuff going on there, isn't there, with Murray? There's psychological Yeah, well, there reasons. is, but also the game. I, I just felt as though the, the backboard that is Djokovic would keep the ball coming back too many times. I did not see him being able to serve him off the court like that, not relentlessly um, for the duration of a match. So I think he's... he's the, the biggest issue for me, aside from the... I think I think... You know how Murray got himself into physical peak form about 10 years ago to the point where he, he suddenly became a mental giant because he became a physical giant. I think that that's the order that Kyrgios probably needs to figure this out in. He needs to figure out a way to enjoy training and get himself super fit so that his body... Now, he's still going to have mental letdowns, but if you look at his last two Grand Slam losses, I think the majority of, of the mental capitulation came about because of physical capitulation. I agree. I agree. I just question whether he's going to do what's necessary to change it up. That's that's what I question. I think we, what we've got here, David, is in microcosm our different dispositions. You are an optimist and I'm a grump. <laughs> and that's, that's what we're seeing here, which is fine. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Can't argue with that. Uh, <laughs> Catherine Whittaker here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, of course. Now, in the doubles, uh, Jamie Murray was successful with Bruno Suarez. So congratulations to those two. They, they kind of needed that result, I felt. Oh, yeah, I think so. You know? Yeah, I think that's big, actually, for them. Uh, so they were victorious. Well done to them. In Dubai, goodness me, a lot went on there. Andy Murray won the title, first of all. Unlike in Acapulco, where it felt as though the... The, the best players we're getting to the latter stages. Uh, I mean, I know Query was a surprise winner, but in Dubai, aside from Murray, they were all falling 
very early on. Started with, with Roger Federer playing his first match since winning the Australian Open. Lost to is it Evgeny Donskoy, uh, who I remember we, we saw in the Davis Cup a number of years ago against Great Britain, uh, and he had a good win in the first rubber and then ended up lo- ending up on the losing side. But he is a player that Federer basically let it be known that he'd never heard of at the end of the match. And uh, Federer was 5-1 up in the first set, in the second, was it second set tiebreak as he tried to to, I can't remember whether he was trying to win the match in three or level the match, um, but he was 5-1 up in the tiebreak and he lost the tiebreak. And I don't remember seeing or I can't recall any time that I've seen Federer lose a match from that sort of position. No, I can't either. I mean, it certainly wasn't a great day for him. I don't read much more into it than that. I think it was just um, a blip of blip of a week. And I think... The- <laughs> This is this is where things are a bit different for Roger Federer now, isn't it? He can have a week like that and go, oh well, well that wasn't a great week. On to the next one. All of the all of the negatives just aren't as painful because they're not big picture negatives now. You know, they're not okay. So if he doesn't win Indian Wells or Miami, that's all right. He still run won the Australian Open. You know, I, I firmly think the focus for him now is Wimbledon. I'm not saying I he think doesn't. it won't last that long though. I. I this euphoria that he's experiencing at the moment I think will continue but he he will need to be winning matches and winning enough matches to still feel good to have a chance in those other slams for me yeah I I agree I agree but uh but I mean what with Wimbledon he'll play one one warm-up event you know from now on okay you've got Indian Wells Miami but they're not leading up to a grand slam are they they're sort of a little swing in themselves and I'm not saying he won't want to do well at them but in the bigger picture which is slams for Roger Federer now let's face it we won't be reading too much into it I don't think if he loses early at one or both of them Uh, and clay court season we've heard him say pretty explicitly he doesn't think he's going to challenge for the title there and as a result, he's not sure how much he'll put in to the clay court season. We both said on the podcast last week, we think he will play Roland Garros. It'd be, I think, unusual for him to skip it altogether. But he certainly has the mindset that I'm not going to win the French. So my energy is best expended elsewhere. And then you look at the grass court season. And actually, we're looking at Haller and then Wimbledon. So, And yes, I think a good week in Haller will be very important for Roger Federer. Absolutely. He wants to go into Wimbledon with the matches, with the wins, with the confidence. But I'm just saying, just because of where we are in the season and the significance of all the individual tournaments, I don't think this is too big a deal for a defender. No, certainly this particular one isn't. I I think he would be pretty pretty perturbed if he if he had anything like the that sort of result in either Miami or Indian Wales I don't think he will for instance I should say because I just think the intensity levels are different to for, for those two events uh, to what they would have been in Dubai so I agree it, with you ultimately. it was a strange one they played so well against Benoit Pair, and I know Pair is flaky and a bit of an enigma but he's a good tennis player and Federer just dismissed him he swatted him well, away and also though Pair was a disgrace really he was I mean some of the antics he was doing he he threw it away and he, he was he was just trashing rackets left right and center yeah I mean he is a total I mean I know how much he frustrates the um the French I've spoken to a lot of French Eurosport people about him and they all say he's a great guy really really everybody wills him to do well but uh, yeah I'm not sure really if the motivation is there for him to to really 
knuckle down and, and turn it around. But anyway, I mean, you know, he's doing what he wants, isn't he? He's he's a top 30 tennis player. Yeah, at the, there are worse know. things to do. I mean, yeah. look, I, the bottom line is I know I said he's a disgrace, and I do think some of the stuff he was doing was. It must be so frustrating when you're out there and it's just not happening. You were referring to it about your own tennis, I think, last week, about if you if you almost have these anxiety dreams oh, and you it's can't like do what you want to do. Anxiety dream in real life, it's yeah. awful. Yeah, no, I And with you, it I happens get it. more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, playing Roger Federer, on one hand, the most wonderful dream imaginable, on the other hand, a horrible anxiety yeah. dream of failure. Uh, yeah. Now, Andy Murray played a 2018 tie-break against Philip Kohlschreiber. It was the sixth... 2018 tie break since 1991. Nobody's managed 21-19 yet. Nobody. Can you make, can you name the other five? I would. Oh have, my I would. Goodness I would me. Don't look at my phone. Well, McEnroe Borg. Down. No. That was 18-16. Um, Roddick Elenawi. No. Oh that God! Was... Can I resign from the game? Yeah. Can, can I have some clues? Uh, Roddick was in one of them. Roddick was in one of them. Where? Australian Open 2007 against Joe Wilfred Songer. Oh. Uh, there was Aka Suso against Bjorn Power. Disgusted you didn't get that one. <laughs> uh, Roger Federer against Marit Safin you should have got. Oh, I should have got that Australian Open no, two, 2005. Uh, it was at the uh, the Tennis Masters Cup oh. in 2004, nearly, uh, not too far away. Can, uh, I, can I just point out to everyone that David is reading this off his phone? This is not being reeled off although, from the mind palace although, of David Law. Two of them I did reel off, actually. I did reel off Federer <laughs> In. The other one I did reel off was uh, Goran Ivanisevic against Gregor Zedsky. Oh, I should have got that. 1997 at Queens. Now, should've the reason I know this, that. the reason I know this, is because I was kneeling next to the umpire's chair while it was going on. We a ball boy. No. <laughs> That's what you've made it sound like, David. Do I look like I could be a ball boy? I mean, you know, Back cause, in 1997. Could you imagine that I was, Catherine? I was 24. You don't get 24-year-old ball boys in the UK. Um, no, basically, I I was there. I'd gone down to courtside in order to, in my old job, it was my second ever experience in tennis this tournament. I'd, I'd had my debut the year before at Queen's as a work experience runt from university. And here I was in 1997, and I was my job was to take the winner of this match to live television with BBC in the corner where Sue Barker was waiting. I went to the courtside position at the start of this final set tie-break, anticipating the end of the match. 30 minutes later, and 38 points later, where there was no chair available for me to sit in, so I decided to crouch. I was still crouching at 2018, <laughs> and I, I actually couldn't get up at the end of it because I'd got cramp. So that was a bit of a difficult uh, conversation to have with uh, Goran Ivanisevic. Goran won it, right? Goran won it, thankfully. Did, the... did Greg blame you for distracting him? No, he didn't, thankfully Oh, not. that was uh, good the, the other one was also involved in the fifth one was uh, Goran Ivanisevic against da- Daniel Nestor in the 1993 US Open. So, Catherine, no, you, got, got you got zero out of five and, uh, well, you lose the game. So... Um, Andy Murray won that though, and then won the next set six-one. I mean, it was an, it was a fantastic tiebreak, but it was just, you, you know, we've talked a lot about mental freshness to do with Djokovic, to do with Federer, and you saw in that week the benefits that Andy Murray had had, in my view, from from a few weeks off. I, I know he'd had shingles and he hadn't been very well, but he was fresh mentally. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, he was certainly rusty 
I thought in the first couple of matches um, and it was such an Andy Murray week such an Andy Murray week going down against uh, Cole Schreiber and and being in the position he was saving seven match points uh, which I think is the most that any the most that he's ever saved on route to winning a match and the most that he's ever saved on route to winning a title um, you know brought out the defiance in him the contrarian you know that sort of that sort of a, a, a week just suited him down to the ground. It reminded me of Monte Carlo last year when he'd had a tricky match against Pierre Gobert in the first round and he was he was down against Benoit Paire in the second round and, and nothing was quite clicking. And then somehow he fought his way back. I think Paire served for the match at least once. He fought his way back. He won in three and he came into the press room and you know he was faced with all these questions about what a rubbish performance it was you know why did you find yourself uh, staring at defeat to Benoit Paire and he said doesn't matter I won that was a that was a bloody big win uh, and he you know it struck me as a similar kind of a thing and I I thought he's going to go on and win the title now uh, and he did I mean he was he was so different against Luca Puy in the semi-final again and then Vadasco in the final it was a different Andy Murray had found the, the beast in himself, hadn't he? And he was suddenly the world number one. And in terms of the, the number one position, that will really cement his position there because he didn't play Dubai last year. Of course, he'd uh, just had his first child. So those are 500 completely fresh new ranking points. He's got barely anything to defend in Indian Wells or Miami because he had a rubbish oh, so time there like last 90 year. points or something. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the world number one spot, that really has taken the pressure off uh, in terms of, of of the number one position, which I think will help him. And I don't, I don't, I think now he's got there and now he's stayed there for a while. I don't think that's front of mind for Andy Murray, but I, I certainly think it'll help just knowing yeah. that that's in the bag for a while. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Um, so Andy Murray is the champion in uh, in Dubai, and so Catherine, the, the one remaining tournament that we haven't covered so far. Kuala Lumpur and a win for Ash Barty. What a what a great win that is. I mean, this is a player who took what three years out of the sport, just mentally just didn't feel like it was for her really, and and took a break from it. Went and played cricket, preferred a team sport. She's always been a great doubles player, and has come back to it fresh, looking forward to it, taking the pressure off herself lovely player to watch I mean she's just such a different type of player single-hander lovely spins and and reading of the sport and and she's come back and 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 won a title straight away pretty much I love the story of Ash Barty I was a bit emotional I wasn't able to uh, watch the match that I've been commentating on Acapulco but I've watched um, highlights of it and uh, I was quite emotional watching her lift that title okay it wasn't the deepest field uh, that you'll see on the WTA you know now Hubino in the final good player but you know there's no Serena there's no Kerber she didn't have to be any top top players but I don't really care it's a tour title and and in terms of her confidence uh, it'll be fantastic she had a good Australian Open as well you know this isn't a flash in the pan I do think she could be a solid maybe even a top 20 player really um, and I, I just love her story. She's a whole case study about the sport of tennis, you know, the demands of it. She's been so fantastically honest about all of that, about how challenging it all can be. And, you know, it is, it's, it's a real, 
it's a real point of reflection for tennis, you know, in countries where that are struggling to produce top-level tennis players, particularly Australia, which is such a sporty country, you know, is it because tennis is losing players to using losing young would-be tennis champions to team sports like cricket, like football, etc., etc. And and she's sort of an individual case study of that, isn't isn't it? She's tennis is what she's most gifted at, clearly it seems to me, but actually the the other demands of it don't suit her particularly well and i i i yeah i love her story i love that she went and tried something else the 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 courage that that would have taken and then the courage to come back and say okay i tried it it was good i'm glad i tried it but i want to try this again i'm ready to try this again i think that's incredibly brave and i've all the time in the world for her yeah same here um so ash barty was the champion in Kuala Lumpur now uh, so India Wells is coming up we have um, asked on Twitter what people who, who people regard Indian Wells as being big for you know what I mean it's, it's obviously a big tournament for everybody but maybe for some bigger than others I'll give you a couple of examples Sam Rippon from York says Djokovic needs to make some inroads he needs some form back Murray could do with the points as well as an increased buffer Peter Pan, don't think it's that Peter Pan, but anyway, Peter Pan, who is a baking consultant, says, uh, Pliskova, however good she's looked at times this year, Carolina Pliskova has some serious points to defend now, and she actually, and I actually think the bigger point is that she needs to, 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 to perform at this sort of time of the year and go into the clay court season and beyond with a fear factor is, is, is what I think Pliskova needs in that locker room. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it is quite big for her. I wouldn't quite go to the extent of saying she needs to win one of these titles uh, in order to sort of defend her new position as one of the women to beat. But yeah, I, I think I think she needs to be going into these two thinking, I'm going to win one of these, certainly. And that's a change from last year. I think it's very big for Djokovic. I think, you know, he traditionally... Um, cleans up in this portion of the year and uh, not saying he needs to win both Indian Miles and Miami but I certainly think it would be quite important for him to win one of them I, mm. I, I do I do think that um, Andy Murray yes I mean Indian Wells not so much I, th- I think everyone's sort of written off Indian Wells See, and Andy I, I, Murray I feel differently I think he needs to make a statement as the world number one that this is different this I think, is a different Andy Murray I think maybe in Miami I, I, I think losing earlier in Indian Wells I think because he's got such a horrible record there I don't I think everyone would just sort of shrug their shoulders and go, oh, there goes another Indian Wells for Andy Murray. So he. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 that is basically what he said in the past, is that I don't know why I can't play well here, but anyway, I can't. Um, but yeah, I think I agree with you about Miami. Uh, it was a surprise for him to lose to... Uh, he lost to Dimitrov last year, didn't he? Uh, it was a great match. He didn't play horribly, but that was the match where Amelie Moresmo was sitting up in the stands and that was all a bit confusing. And I think that was probably the first signs that 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 was starting to, to go a bit awry, that relationship. So, yeah, I think I think Miami is big for Murray. I think they're both big for Djokovic. I think Kerber needs a big result at one of them. I do. I really think she could do with winning one of those. What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. But I, I think that could come from anywhere with her. She needs something somewhere um, because I think it could drift away from Angelique Kerber quite dramatically. I mean, the other thing is points are going to start dropping off 
left, right and centre with her just because of, the, of how much she won last year. And that'll be an interesting one to see how she deals with. Ali says that Raonic has uh, uh, finalist points, points to defend. That's a, a fair point. Richard Verico, Star Trek fan from Bournemouth, says uh, uh, Novak Djokovic with all those points, 2,000 points. I mean, that is a lot of pressure. And in Murray defending only 90. How do you know he's a Star Trek fan? Well, he says on Twitter. So, I, you know, that's how I know. Well, he starts all his tweets with, I'm a Star Trek fan, and I think that Djokovic has a lot of points to defend. You don't know how Twitter works, do you? <laughs> it's in the profile. All oh, right. Yours okay. says, um, grumpy, Reading <laughs> fan. No, doesn't say that. James Nathan, a New Zealander living in Hong Kong, I read that in the profile, says uh, it's big for team, Dominic team, to show whether he's scheduling makes yeah. sense or whether Catherine Whitaker is right. That's true. If he wins or reaches a final of one of those two, I'll go back in my box. You heard it here, folks. You hold her to that. She can't get out of it. And finally, Adam Perugino from Canada, who is calling himself feisty but spineless, says, it's big for me because my schedule this week means that I can watch every single minute of Indian Wells. Well, that, I mean, yeah, it is, it is a sumptuous one to watch on the TV. I remember watching Indian Wells. It was then one of the Mercedes Super 9 events in, in it was called The Den in my, in my parents' house. It's subsequently been converted into a sort of ensuite dressing room thing, but it used to be That's like what a sort, when of, you move out, isn't sort it? of den come TV room. I remember watching it in there with my dad and my dad saying, doesn't that look just wonderful and then a few years later my mum and dad went on holiday to um to indian wells they were my brother was at a university in albuquerque and they used that as an excuse to go on their long-awaited indian wells holiday and if i tell you that that was in 2005 david what do you remember about indian wells in 2005 indian wells the most glorious sunny hot you know perfect um, impenetrable blue skies. Did it rain? It was four degrees <laughs> <laughs> and it rained solidly <laughs> for the five days that they were there. I mean, really. Is that why my he's dad, not allowed in My anymore? dad had to go and buy a second pair of socks. They still, they, they can barely bring themselves to watch Indian Wells now. Every time they switch it on, they go, well, bloody sunny in Indian Wells again this year, isn't it? <laughs> they had to buy ponchos <laughs> excellent uh, finally Catherine because I've got to go on and get a train right? you do. You, you've been talking there is a reason why we're at uh, Marlebone Station yeah. we don't just love sitting in the cold opposite cards galore <laughs> David well, speak for yourself right? it's best, best week best hour of my week thanks a bunch uh, my childhood tennis memories something I asked about on Twitter uh, oh well I've just sort of inadvertently given you one yeah okay well I didn't ask you for one uh, I've got Matt Saxby here who says uh, the Agassi Goran final of 1992 absolute classic loved it Catherine were you even alive 1992 yes but do you uh, remember it I, I, no it's no not really have you Sorry. ever watched it back yeah I, I, I remember hang on did you say Wimbledon 1992 yes. is that what we're talking about I actually do remember watching it yeah I remember um, my parents telling me who Andre Agassi was that was when I first became aware of Andre Agassi there you go okay. and then he came back a few years later and he had no hair 
and I had it had to be explained to me that that was the same person I'd seen a few years before with, we, we all with all the that. hair. Every, nobody understood that one. Uh, David Moreno says, uh, I'll go backwards another year when my favourite player, Michael Stick, beat Boris Becker at Wimbledon and I screamed for joy for a week. David Eaglesham says... Uh, Do you know what? I, I, I don't want to disparage Michael Stick, but I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody say that their favourite tennis player was Michael Stick. Have you ever heard that before? I've got Michael Stick's number. You know, and no, I'm, I'm not saying call, he's not. You know, that's a name a drop, stand-up bloke. But no, I'm telling him. Have that's you awful. ever heard anybody say he's listening to this? Michael Stick is my favourite tennis player. Tell me, David. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't remember hearing that. No offence, Michael, but I can't remember it. I mean, I'm sure there are thousands, but I don't know who they are. Uh, uh, David Eaglesham says uh, Federer against Roddick at Wimbledon in 04, followed in August by Andy Murray winning the Junior US Open. Yeah. Uh, we've got Tony, Toby Nelms here who says Leighton Hewitt smashing through his semi-final and final at Wimbledon and his scary competitiveness. I would agree, you know, on the scary competitiveness of Leighton Hewitt. He is half my size, right? But whenever I've spoken to him, I've always found him slightly intimidating. Oh, he is intimidating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Intimidation factor isn't just about size, you know, David. Oh, I've been... I've been I've, <laughs> You've been I, riding I've been, that wave. I've been trading off that for about 40 years. Is that not... Oh, it doesn't work like that. Oh, right. I've been trying ever so hard to use my height. Anyway, Rosemary, uh, who I thought for a long time was Rosie the dog, but it isn't. It's Rosemary G, who actually has a handle on Twitter, which is Rosie not the dog because uh, of, of our subsequent confusion. Rosemary says, uh, Wimbledon 1972, Nastasi Smith, 74, Rosewell Connors, my childhood tennis memory, and the first thing she ever saw on colour TV was Wimbledon at her dad's friend, and the colour of the grass was awesome. Was it green? It was, yeah. No surprise. Uh, Andrew McConnell says, uh, I w- this, this, this sickens me. Said Andrew McConnell, McDonnell says, I was nine years old at the Federer Roddick in 2009. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, sh- should we not have an age limit for the tennis podcast? You are not allowed to listen if you're a teenager and therefore going to make David Law feel bad. Is student Matt's still a teenager, though. We, we can't exclude him. If he's a teenager, he's fired. why didn't you tell me, <laughs> is what I want to know. Uh, Greg Gaynor says the 1996 US Open, when Stefan Edberg played his final US Open match, lost to Goran, and Greg says he cried so much he didn't sleep oh, until Greg. 2 or 3 in the morning. Is that Rosetsky? Oh No, it's not Greg Rosetsky, <laughs> it's Greg Gaynor. Uh, Arno says, uh, finally, commentators, you can tell why I picked this one, commentators whispering on Radio 5 Live from Roland Garros centre court with the sound of balls in the background. I think sort of what you've done there, David, is retweet a compliment, except done it by reading it I've out also, loud. I've also lied because he didn't say Radio 5 Live. He said Radio Live. So he obviously, he obviously wasn't, <laughs> wasn't us. <laughs> Not to worry, Arno. Uh, I'm going to take it as a compliment, even though you didn't mean it to be one, and I've retweeted it verbally. Uh, and finally, he also says Henri Leconte destroying Pete Sampras in the Davis Cup final in Lyon was his first major childhood tennis memory. That was a good one. Catherine was five, and she doesn't remember that one either. I don't, know. Sorry. So what's your first ch- childhood tennis memory? My first? Well, I'd say that Agassi Goran one is is close to 
I mean, my first memory of sort of really, really engaging with tennis probably came around... Two th- I mean, the 2001... Watching the 2001 final and Goran winning that and supporting Pat Rafter um, in my uh, school's IT room with a girl called Hannah Blakey, who uh, I haven't seen since school, but Hannah, if you're listening, we shared that very special moment together, and I will never forget that. Um, Yeah, that would probably be one of the first of really, really engaging with tennis and thinking, this is, for me, this sport, this is quite good, isn't it? Before then, it was all sort of, you know, my brother played tennis and... I wasn't very good at it, so sort of stayed out of it. And that, that bit's still <laughs> the case. Uh, mine was uh, 1981, uh, the Borg McEnroe final, and my dad had told me all about Bjorn Borg when I was a kid. He, he read my, me bedtime stories about Bjorn Borg. Oh, I was, love that. This was my first ever chance to see him live in reality. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could not have hated John McEnroe more. As a, as, a, as a sort of eight-year-old as I was then, uh, to which I've told John McEnroe about since, name drop, uh, but I have, and, uh, and I, you know, he, he's let me off that, so, uh, you know. Well, to my dad, if you're listening, why didn't you read me bedtime stories about Bjorn Borg? I feel uh, I've had an underprivileged childhood now. Okay, well, there's still time. <laughs> there's not still time. <laughs> Maybe you can get them over the dinner table next time you're around. I, I bet your dad has got some amazing Bjorn Borg stories. I bet you. I remember. I do remember them telling me about how much they hated John McEnroe as well. Actually, that, that we have so we have that shared experience. I know. I've, I've got to go and get a train. <laughs> he literally does. I'm going to get stuck in the train Suddenly a look of panic yeah. on David's face. Yeah. So anyway, this has been the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association <laughs> with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We're uncoupling the cables as I speak. Catherine, very nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too. We didn't even get to mention the uh, tennis ball boy dogs in Rio. You've got to go and get your train, but they are a joy if you want to check that out on, you, on YouTube. Dogs being ball boys. It makes my heart sing. It does. I can see it singing as we speak. However, I have to say, I've got to go. And uh, sorry for all of those of you that wanted to have pole vault this week. It's been banned. Sorry. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.